Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. What's on my heart to share tonight is from the book of Ruth. Ruth is that little book that's sandwiched in between the book of Judges and the book of for Samuel. And what I like about Ruth is not just that it's only four chapters, <laughs> but it's the fact that there's this tremendous hope that happens in chapters two, three, and four in the midst of hopelessness, which is chapter one. And it's on my heart to really teach chapter one to bring out the reality of decisions that we can make that will have an effect upon our family. And yet, even when they are decisions that just are bad decisions, God is still working behind the scenes. And right now, in your life and in my life, no matter what's going on, no matter decisions good, decisions bad, God is working. He's way ahead of us. He's already at the end of the line, you might say. He's waving us through saying, you know, we can do this. We're going to have to change a few things. I'm going to have to let some things fall apart so we can gather it together and do it right. God is always working. And we're going to see that. We're going to be referring to that many times here. You know, the book of Judges is a difficult book to go through because it, it starts off quite well, and then it just starts going down and down and down. And then in chapter 17 to the end of the book of Judges, there's just this idolatry that's rampant in the land. You know, the, the last judge from the book of uh, judges is Samson. And notice that there was no army that he led. It was just him and the men of Judah wanted to deliver him to the Philistines. So it was a, just a disheartening, sad time. But then here's this book of Ruth, which shows that even in the midst of how bad it can be, God is still working. And I want to affirm to you tonight, God is still working in your life. Even though you don't see him, and even though you don't feel him, like the chorus, part of a Waymaker chorus, even when we don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. So my prayer is that all of us would hear the Lord speak to us as we're covering this chapter here. And let's see what the Lord wants to minister to us and not just walk out of here and go, that was interesting, but just be a life-changing time. So let's begin with a word of prayer and let's see what God has for us tonight, all right? Father God, we thank you for the wonderful word of God that you give us. We thank you how the Holy Spirit has fashioned the Word of God as he moved upon the, the pens of men and women as they wrote down their songs and their prophecies and their historical accounts. 
And Lord, we need to hear your voice tonight. You know what's going on in our life. You're the only one that can do it right. So minister to us tonight from chapter 1 of the book of Ruth. And may you give us faith and courage to believe, to follow through in what you set on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So follow along with me as I look through verses 1 to 5 as we launch into this section of history here. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlan and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Mahlan and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. That's a sad five verses. But let's talk about it. It was during the time when the judges were ruling in Israel. The spiritual condition was at an all-time low in Israel since the time they moved in. Samuel the prophet was going to be the next judge prophet that would rise on the scene but right now we're in this little area where the Holy Spirit saw fit to include this special book and it can be called the book of redemption there's a famine in the land the text tells us and all throughout the Old Testament there are times when God touched the weather patterns and touched the agriculture foundation of Israel and began to to pull back his blessing to get their attention. But today, if there's a famine or if there's a weather situation that comes through, we have it all explained with our meteorologists and our satellites and all, and it just seems like, well, God doesn't use that anymore. Oh, he could. It's interesting to see what happened just recently in the last two years, a worldwide pandemic. I'm not saying it's a judgment from God, but it sure got people's attention. And it brought economies to their knees, individuals to their knees. God was trying to get their attention through this time of famine. And by the way, isn't that how God gets our attention in our life? When all of a sudden we are sensing a dryness an emptiness, a fruitlessness? Have you considered that sometimes that's the Lord trying to get our attention? Because there just seems to not be that sense of purpose anymore. Life seems to have dried up. 
It's not that God is punishing so much as he's trying to pull us to himself if we will receive it, if we will see with a heart that wants to understand. When God brings and allows a time of famine in our life, it's so that we might draw close to him because he wants a full blessing on our life. He doesn't just want token service. He wants relationship. God wants us to consider our ways. It's not that everything that goes bad is a judgment from God. But, you know, we need to consider, you know, in the time of adversity, consider, it says in Ecclesiastes, and and I always do, not to condemnation, but like, Lord, what's up? You know, the bottom is dropping out. What's up? Draw me close to you. And I just want to say before we go on that God is always looking to calm the storm in our heart before he calms the storms outwardly. We've said that before in a previous study. So here they are in the midst of very difficult trying times in the area of Bethlehem, Judah. And so here's this this man that's brought in here in verse 2. His name is Elimelech. And his name means, my God is king. But yet he's, he's making some decisions that really don't seem like God is in charge. He's it's like a knee-jerk reaction when, oh my gosh, well, I've got to do something. I've got to find something. And, and rather than looking to the Lord, you're trying to just find everything else and depend on your own reasoning. And it says here, his, his name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, which is Hebrew for pleasant. And then he had a couple of sons. Now, the names of these two sons are interesting because the firstborn, Malon, means sickly. So I'm not sure if, if he was a preemie or, 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 or what was going on, but to name your kid sickly. Hey, sickly, come here, you know. And, and they're older. I mean, they're marriage age, okay? So you've got that on your record. And then his brother, Kilion, it means pining, sorrow, pining away. It's a bummer of a family. And you're naming them with these names that just kind of like are caring. They're, they're caring. It's on their birth certificate. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. My guess is he sold off his property, took everything he had, which was probably not much, And he decided there must be sustenance over across the Jordan River in the land of Moab. Now, Moab was was their enemies. Why would you you pull up stake from from the people of God and go to the land of the enemy to find sustenance? But that's just what he was doing. And he brought his family into it. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. The word Judah means praise. So in effect, Elimelech left the house of bread and the place of praise to go to the land of Moab, the enemy that God called his wash pot. 
over in Psalm 108. What's he thinking? He's relying purely upon reaction to circumstances instead of looking to the Lord. Now, all of us do that at times. We can get caught up in the circumstances and we, and we make decisions that really weren't thought through well and we're suffering a bit because of it. But I just want to keep reminding us that God is still working behind the scenes. Sometimes God has to tear down before he can build up. And so these five verses, everything's falling apart. They are gone for 10 years. And the first thing that happens in verse 3 is Naomi's husband dies. The companion of her life, you know, whoever did the matchmaking to put them together, they've been together since that time, and now he's gone. And she's in a foreign land. At least she has her two sickly sons. But things just keep unraveling. It says in verse 4, Now they took wives of the women of Moab. Why didn't they just go back to Judah, you know, and find a gal? I mean, why go to the world to find companionship? But what's happening here, and I see this so often, is sometimes the decisions of the father have an effect upon the children. If the father has a pattern of going after worldliness and looking upon the, the efforts of the flesh, it can impact the children and develop patterns, and all of a sudden they're following suit. And so they marry two Moabitesses. And so now at least there's a little bigger family for comfort. But then, verse 5, both Mahlon and Chilion die. This is within a 10-year period. Naomi lost everything. I mean everything. And she's in a foreign land. It reminds me of the scripture in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, where the Lord says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Why do we go to the world to try to get purpose? Why do we go to the world to try to, you know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the foolish pride of life? Why do we draw to that to try to fill our life? It's just unbelief in the sufficiency of God. His life fills us like nothing else in the world can do. And there are times that we just, whether it's the suggestion of the enemy and his temptation, we become convinced that the world has something better for me than whatever God could offer. But it says here, in, at the end of verse 2, 
they went to the country of Moab and remained there. It's interesting, the Hebrew, for, uh, the Hebrew word for remain there means to exist. They just existed. For 10 years, they were there, they were alive, they were living, they were being provided for, but they were just existing. That's kind of a sad word because that's not what God has for his people just to exist. He wants abundant life for them, but they have to follow his ways. They have to go to him for that life. Maybe this story actually represents what's going on in our life this evening. We may have walked away from the Lord thinking that the world had better things to offer, and yet now there's a famine in our life, the dryness. There's just dead things. We've left, left the house of bread and the place of praise for Moab, the wash pot. Uh, that's happened so often. It's called backsliding. It's called moving away from that fellowship with Jesus and trying to be filled with things in the world. And just like Naomi, we end up left with only memories of prior days when at least we were surrounded by family and friends. But God is working. God is constantly working. And that's something we need to really remember. Everything's for a season. Right now, you might be going through a season of dryness and things are very difficult, but it's only for a season because God is working. There is hope in the midst of hopelessness because of him, not because of circumstances. But we have to open our eyes and see that how he has been back here, he is still the same in the new covenant. He loves, he's gracious, he's kind, but he will chasten only to bring back to blessing. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. God resists the proud, but he'll give grace to the humble. Those are eternal truths of how our God is. I think of King David who gave it up. He was anointed to be the next king. He was a young guy. He was in his teens when he got anointed. And then the king got jealous and put a contract on his life to kill him. And so all during his 20s, David is running through the wilderness of Judah. I mean, his whole 20s were ruined. I mean, the strength of his life just ruined by this king who's jealous and chasing him. But God was working behind the scenes. But just a few weeks before David was going to have an opening to be king, David makes a knee-jerk decision to move to the land of the enemy for protection, just like Elimelech did. And that's seen in 1 Samuel 27. He was only just weeks away from Saul being removed as king. And that long trial would be over. But God was using the season of difficulty in David's life to purge ambition out of his life. So that when he became king, there wouldn't be this power ambition. 
You realize that finally when David was, was king and Saul had died, he decided only to rule over Judah and not force all of Israel to come under his care. For seven and a half years, he ruled over Judah. How, how could he do that when now he's 30 years old, he's in his prime, I'm the anointed king. But ambition had been purged out of his, out of his life through the trial. So God is always working even when things seem unfair. There's something inside that God is breaking. Not to destroy, but to bless. Sometimes our best decision in times of trial and difficulty is, not sometimes, all the time, is just to keep seeking God's counsel and not rushing off to the arena of the enemy for safety. Does that make sense? Let's continue on here. Let's take a look at verses 6 and 7. Talking about Naomi now. It says, Then she arose. This is after 10 years. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. It was only after the death of everything Naomi held precious that she heard in the midst of the land of the enemy that the Lord had visited his people with bread. How did she hear it? You know, she didn't go online. I mean, who came to her and told her? But the Lord has ways in his perfect timing to bring the news that you need to hear even when you're in the land of the enemy. It's not that she went looking for it or inquiring. It came to her. And I just see this as the, the providence of God because God is, God's timing is being fulfilled. But it's interesting that often the beginning of new life is after the fires have swept through and destroyed what all seemed to be worthwhile in our life. It's in those times of brokenness where God brings forth new life. Isn't that what happens when you plant a seed? The outward shell breaks open, doesn't it? And then new life comes out. But we don't want to be broken. You know, I, want to, I, I, just, I just want, bless me, bless me, bless me. Okay, well, I need to break you, break you, break you. You know, for new life to come out, I know you want the new life and I want it for you, but, there's, but that outward shell has to break or that's never going to grow. It has to be planted in darkness before anything can come out of it. How merciful and creative our God is to reach us when we are in need, even though we're so full of doubts and discouragement. And, and you know, there can come times where you can say, I don't even know if I can hear God anymore. I don't even know if I mean, have you ever had those doubts, especially when you first came to Christ? Am I really a Christian? Did that really take? I mean, am, am, I, am I really 
what it says. I mean, I don't feel anything. And look what's happening to my life. And we can have those doubts. But God is working behind the scenes. You know the picture I like, and I didn't put one up here. It's of a mother cat taking its kittens from one place to another. Do you know how she does it? Of course you do. She grabs them by the back of the neck and carries them. And so they're, like, they're just like this, you know. They're hanging there because they're being taken from one location to the other. And there are times in our life we can feel like that kitten. God's got us on the back of the neck and, and, and we're just dragging along. We have no idea where we're going. Meow, meow, you know. There's that other picture of the, of the cat on the screen door like this, like hang in there, baby, you know. Okay, enough of that picture. Verse 8, so here they are at the Jordan River, probably. We don't know where they are, but they're ready to go into the land of Judah, and the Jordan River and the Dead Sea is the boundary. Here's what she says in verse 8. Verse 8 to 14, we're going to cover that section. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt kindly with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you unto your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go. For I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Releasing her daughters-in-law. I mean, they were Moabitesses, and, and she had no idea how they'd be treated back in Judah because, you know, there was that division. Moab was counted the land of the enemy, and she's bringing them into this, and oh, it's going to be a nightmare. And she felt like they had a better promising future going back to their father's house in Moab than coming with her. I mean, she's not really spiritually in a good place right now. But God is working behind the scenes. Hope in the midst of hopelessness is going to be found in Ruth, her daughter-in-law, as we'll see. Do you know God understands our sufferings? God understands our grief. He's not up there saying, would you just get over it? God understands. Matter of fact, Psalm 56, 8 says, You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Some of you parents have wept over your children which are wayward, and God has kept those tears in his bottle. Some of you have gone through the most difficult time in your life you can't even imagine, and you're in the quiet in your bedroom, sitting on the bed, door closed, crying your eyes out. 
God understands the heartache. I know that for a fact. Been there myself. And the word of God affirms that's true. Although the circumstances of our life may not seem like there will ever be any change, God is still active in the midst of those circumstances. The daughters-in-law wanted to stay with her, but Naomi said, look, just, just no, 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 go back. It says, it grieves me very much that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And really that, she, she had an incorrect conclusion. God wasn't mad at her, but she used circumstances to judge how God felt about her. You ever done that? And I have. I'm going, why isn't this changing? I mean, what am I doing wrong? Tell me, you know, and I'm just getting a little snarky with the Lord. And he just says, you just need to chill. (laughs) You'll find out. You know that that the Lord Jesus said that to his disciples. What I do, you don't understand now, but you'll understand later in the Gospel of John. I love that verse. Because all my years I've, I've fallen upon that verse. Circumstances are not a correct way to judge God's heart. Because people in the world who live in wickedness have bounty and affluence. It's not that God is happy with their life at all. And there are times when Christians are in prison and suffering and in torture. So is that God's heart for them? You can't use circumstances as the final validator of the heart of God. And if you judge God by by circumstances, you you need to really repent because it's a wrong... you're, You're putting yourself in a place of judgment against God. Let's continue on, verses 15 to 18. And Naomi says to Ruth, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also of anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her, which is um, New King James' way of saying she stopped the argument. It's not that she says, I'm not going to talk to you the rest of your life. It's just it means she stopped the arguing and trying to convince her to leave. Ruth's words reveal something fascinating to me. In the midst of a desert experience in Naomi's life, Ruth found herself spiritually hungry and learning about the God of Israel from her husband, and her heart was just drawn to the God of Israel so much so that she wanted nothing to do with the world anymore. 
How fascinating that God can use us in our time of bummer to actually touch the lives of those who are spiritually hungry. I remember a time when my wife and I were in the youth ministry in the 70s and we had gone through a lot of trials. And her sister came to visit us kind of randomly and we were sitting in the, in the cabin we were living in there on the, the acreage. And she says, you're probably wondering why I came down to see you. And I'm going, well, yeah. And, you know, I'm in my 20s. I can excuse that. I said, well, yeah, yeah. And she goes, well, you guys have such a joy. And I'm listening to her speak, and I'm going, I don't remember that. <laughs> you guys have such a joy, and it seems like you have such a hope, and I need that. And so we, we led her to Christ. But I learned a valuable lesson that even in the midst of difficult times and trials when our countenance is just so sad, God can still use us to draw the spiritual hungry. And that's what happened with Ruth here. Look at her comments. There are five comments that Ruth made to Naomi which were expressive of her heart. Let's look at those. Number one, wherever you go, I go. Number two, wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Number three, your people shall be my people. And number four, your God, my God. And number five, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. This tells us that Ruth had died to her old life in Moab. And you know, the Jewish rabbis use this, these five things as the prime example of the necessary heart of a proselyte into Ju Judaism. But I like to see this as, this is what we've said when we turned our lives over to Christ. Haven't we said that? Wherever you go, I go. I just want to be with you. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And that gets a little hard sometimes when you've been offended by God's people. But still, there's that decision. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. Where did Jesus die? On the cross. Didn't Jesus say to those who wanted to follow him, if anyone follow me, come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. I have to die to my flesh, die to my dream, and let him be my dream because his way is so much better than I could ever come up with. Every line is a focus on the person of our Savior. And actually, uh, um, um, this section is read many times during wedding ceremonies. Well, let's continue on here. They're probably at the Jordan River, ready to cross over. Kind of reminds me of baptism, doesn't it? You know, we're a water baptism. You're showing outwardly that you're leaving the old world behind. 
You're crossing that river. By the way, we have a, we have a water baptism coming up um, on July 13th, Wednesday night. So if you haven't ever been baptized in water, this is just a little segue here. If you haven't ever been baptized in water since you've surrendered and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be baptized in water. It's that public proclamation that you put the world behind you. No turning back. So they cross the Jordan, come back into the land of Judah after 10 years. Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And God is working behind the scenes. Let's finish the chapter. Verses 19 to 22. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said, do not call me Naomi. And she's she has kind of an attitude, actually. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Consider this. All the city was excited because of them. After 10 years, Naomi, you're back, you're back. They didn't speak with a New York accent. They spoke in Hebrew. See, they were excited because of her. But was she excited to be back? She's, um, you know, Naomi means pleasant. That's what the name means, pleasantness. And she's anything but pleasant. As a matter of fact, she says, don't call me Naomi. <laughs> don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Yeah, I guess. And then listen to what the women say about her. Is this Naomi? When I read that, it reminds me that sustained sorrow can show itself on our countenance after a long time. We wear it on our face when hope is gone. And as we interact with people in the market, on our job, in our neighborhood, there's going to be times that you're going to run into people and you can just see the hopelessness in their countenance. That's a symptom of a need for Christ. We need to be spiritually sensitive to, to see that because time in the world will just, uh, and away from the Lord will just wear you down. So she's coming back. She's not in a good place spiritually, but God is working behind the scenes. He has never given up on Naomi, and he's going to use Ruth to be a blessing. Isn't it interesting that something that seems to randomly come into our life can be actually God's plan to turn things around? 
We don't see it at the time, but we'll see it later. And what, this is what we see in the book of Ruth. Because in chapters 2 through 4, there's this incredible uh, divine sovereign move of God to turn things around. And Ruth becomes the, the great-grandmother of King David because she marries Moab, the near kinsman. We don't have time, of course, to go into all the book. But right now, as we close, can you trust that God is working behind the scenes even when you don't see it and even when you don't feel it? Can you just trust that? Can you take your situation in life and take a breath and just say, I'm going to stop trying to figure it out. And I want rest. And I want peace in my heart. Because I'm going to trust that you are working behind the scenes and you are doing things I don't understand or see right now. God is working in us and he is working around us. He is the hope in the midst of hopeless situations. It's not Ruth. Ruth is a, a vessel that God was using, but God was the hope. He's the God of hope. And I want to close with this scripture. And you, most of you know it, but it's so apropos right now. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not or be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word tonight. We are trusting that those who are listening online, those who will listen to this later, and those of us in here, will hear your voice. That it would be a prophetic voice to our situation. God, we ask for grace in the middle of difficult times. And I ask you, God, tonight to give courage and hope in the midst of hopelessness. And Lord, may this message be used as we carry it to those that we will encounter who are in any trouble. Tonight, as we close here, if, if this is you, as we continue to pray, and God is speaking to your heart about your life situation, I'd like to invite you just to stand where you are so we can pray for you. Okay, God bless you. Anybody else? Okay, God bless you back here. God's been speaking to your heart through the message. God bless you. 
I don't think it's a coincidence that you're here and I'm here and this is the message for tonight. Okay, back over here. God bless you. All right. And in standing, what you're doing is you're acknowledging, God, I know you're speaking to my heart and I do want things to change, but it has to start with me inside first. Anyone else? It's a good opportunity. Okay, God bless you. God bless you. Those of you that are around them, I'd like you just to open your eyes and, and keep standing, please. I'd like you to go over and, and uh, put your hand on their shoulder and let's pray for them, okay? Don't leave anyone standing by themselves. Those of you uh, who are watching from home, you can stand as well because God is right there with you. And lift up your hand to him and let him take hold of it. And Father God, we pray for these right now. You know all the details. We don't need to know them. And right now, because you are the God of all grace and mercy and power, that you would touch their hearts, the depth of their soul, and bring in hope in the midst of the hopelessness. Help them, Lord, fix their eyes on you. And let this night, June 15th, be that time where things have turned around. They've crossed the Jordan, so to speak. And so, Lord, we just commit them to you now, right now. Work in, in amazing ways. Surprise us, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.